hello. Welcome to the Charity Impact Podcast, the in-depth podcast for people working in the charity sector or more broadly to achieve social impact. I'm Alex Blake, your podcast host, and I'm joined today by Martha McKenzie, Executive Director of the Civic Power Fund, the UK's first fund dedicated to community organising. Martha has previously led teams and campaigns at UNICEF, Shelter and Save the Children. She's balanced progressive fundraising and advocacy with campaigns rooted in redistributing power. We're going to be discussing social justice funding, community organising, people power, participatory grant making and more. So welcome to the podcast, Martha. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? Excellent. Thank you. Looking forward to our conversation. Looking forward to learning a bit more about community organising and what you're doing at the Civic Power Fund. And with that in mind, that will be my first question is um, if you could just give us a brief introduction to the Civic Power Fund. The Civic Power Fund is a new independent intermediary funder focused on grassroots community organising in the UK. And we raise money from foundations, trusts and philanthropic funders. And then we strategically redistribute it through progressive and participatory grant making. And we have a single aim, and that aim is building the power of oppressed communities to win justice. And we have a single strategy towards this aim, which is radically improving the quality and quantity of funding for grassroots organizing and community power building. And really we're motivated by two overarching factors. So one is a pretty deep concern about the state of UK democracy, and the democratic decline we're seeing right across the country. And community organizing has this incredible capacity to strengthen democracy and connect communities to their local decision makers. But we're also deeply motivated by justice. And we're seeing right across the UK that communities are on the front lines fighting and organizing for their rights, but they just can't get the resources to do that work. Now that's a justice issue in and of itself. They should be funded to do the work, but it's also a pretty big strategy issue because if we want to win on some of the big social issues of our time, we need to build people power that can hold our decision makers to account. So that's why we exist. Just to clarify that sort of term around community organising, so I think it's it's one I've come across a few times, but I think it's maybe more used in the States. It doesn't seem to crop up that much in the UK. Um, so can you just give us some sort of definition to explain that? I can, and I could talk all day about organising, um, so if I'm going on, please, please stop me. Um, so community organising, it's at once highly skilled, but also deeply organic. And I think it's important to say that marginalised communities have been organising for centuries, but the practice itself was codified in the early 20th century by Saul Olinsky, the father of community organising. And Olinsky went on to found the Industrial Areas Foundation in the US, one of the first and still largest organising groups. The UK also has its own rich history of community organising, but it is, you're right, lesser known here. I would say UK organising is really typified by Citizens UK, and they are affiliated with the Industrial Areas Foundation in the US and have been successfully organising across the UK since the 80s. I think to kind of dig a little bit into community organising and why we think it's magic. It's a practice that brings people who share a problem together to win change that matters to them. It's kind of that simple. It's distinct from community development as it seeks to create change by applying outside pressure. And we think it's a transformative practice because of three core principles. The first principle is self-determination. Now winning change takes time. And really we turn up and we turn out for the long haul. 
when our own rights and those of the people we love are under threat. Or as the abolitionist campaigner Frederick Douglass put it back in 1857, who would be free themselves must strike the blow. Community organizing's grounding in self-interest and this authentic leadership makes it a uniquely sustainable route to change. For example, I think like when media momentum wilts, you can still see these deep community roots growing. The second core principle is the most fundamental principle and that is people power. Building a sustainable base of people power is the only way to challenge the status quo. The union organizer and scholar based in the States, Jay McLeavy, she says this as the only concrete advantage ordinary people have over elites is numbers. And building community power rests on communities being aware of both how the system works against them, but most importantly, their capacity to do something about it. So organizing combines a grounding in self-determination with deep knowledge of power and how to build, wield and influence it. And I think it's quite important to say at this stage that here we see power as this kind of benevolent force that anybody can have, but currently we don't often exercise power or we're afraid of power because it's seen as something negative or nefarious. And organizing switches this on its head and it says that power is simply the ability to act and the way that communities build power that can actually go toe to toe with decision makers, with the systems that we know are so strong, is by organizing together around these common themes and then accessing decision making spaces to hold and wield that power in the long term. And that kind of takes us on to the third principle, which is solidarity. So yes, building a base of people power absolutely starts with communities of self-interest. We come together around things we care about. But to really win lasting change, we have to build solidarity beyond our base. So organizing, it really encourages us to, to listen to each other, to build reciprocal relationships, and then to find common cause in the pursuit of change. And there's a fantastic organizing scholar in the US called Harry Han, and she describes this as developing people's sense of their own agency and their loyalties to one another. So by combining these principles, organizing builds the capacity to win meaningful change and it creates a democracy that is accountable to and representative of the people. And we thought about the Civic Power Fund, we call this kind of magic, the, civic, the, the community organizing equation. And I think very briefly before I move on is just to say that organizing does this by building relationships within and between individuals and communities. And this is achieved through listening, through understanding what communities want, through finding common ground and common bonds between them, and then through working with trusted leaders to design and deploy really kind of effective change strategies. And this at once, it transforms the individual, it transforms communities as they come together, as they build better democracy, but it also builds the foundation to transform society and really win systemic change. And so when we're talking about community organizing, does it tend to be at a very local level or can it equally be applied to a community of interest at a national or potentially even a sort of global level? I think as a practice, what's so special about organizing is that it absolutely can be applied right across different communities from community of place to community of common struggle. And what we've seen time and time again throughout history is the best organizing definitely starts in place or starts in spaces where communities can come together and really get to know one another and have that influence, but it doesn't stop there. 
And with organizing, you start to build these bases of power that emerge from a grassroots or local level, but then connect into movements or connect into national influencing to win systemic change. And there's so much beautiful theory around this idea that I think sometimes in, in the UK charitable sector, we've tended to separate work that's happening in place from work that's happening at a kind of national systems change level. Mm. And organizing flips this on its head and says very clearly that we don't win national or global systems level change without starting local, without starting in place. And that's why it's kind of this missing ingredient of a lot of our social change work in the UK. Yeah, I think definitely when I think about a lot of the sort of work to influence change that happens in the charity sector, it tends to be more your sort of larger national organisations who will campaign on a particular issue and will lobby the government and they'll, um, you know, they'll engage their kind of base of supporters and and the community they support to kind of get behind them and 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 that can work really well, um, but probably yeah, just less. There seem to be less examples of more that kind of very grassroots community based um, kind of campaign that starts that way and then grows um, up to that national level. Um, but it, you probably have <laughs> examples of it that I'm not aware of. So we'll we'll probably come on to those a little bit more. Um, uh, the um, the research that you did at the Civic Power Fund, um, I think was it last year or the year before, um, really highlighted the lack of funding as well for this type of work, um, for social justice and particularly for community organising. Um, what was it? What did you find from that research? What were some of the reasons for that? That's right. So last year we worked with John Cracknell at The Hour Is Late to map social justice funding in the UK. And we looked at 47 known social justice funders, which together the grant making made up around 300 million pounds worth of grant making. And our analysis found that just 2.3% of this social justice grant making was going towards community organizing. But also picking up on your earlier point, we also found that over three quarters of this grant making was going to organizations that operate at a national level. So we saw very clearly in that research, what we've been hypothesizing is that there's very little funding available for grassroots deep organizing work, but also we're not distributing that kind of vital work for social justice across the places and spaces where communities are self-organizing and building those potential bases of people power. And to us, that's a real kind of missed opportunity. And we touched upon this briefly in the opening, that actually if we want to win long-term change and change that endures, we have to have that base of power. Campaigning is absolutely vital. Mobilizing around key moments or opportunities is absolutely vital. But if we don't actually have a base that is really connected to the change, that has that muscle memory year in, year out, and that can be mobilized around those key moments, then really we're underestimating the power we have to make a significant change. So for... For community organisers at the moment, what, what do you see the um, challenges and opportunities being for them? Well, I'm going to be a bit um, extreme here, but I, I think it's important to underlie this. I do feel that we're living through a moment of fairly profound crisis. I mean, following the pandemic, we've seen for the first time in 25 years, global poverty rates have increased. And right across the world, societies are fracturing and democracy is in trouble. 
And these are global trends, but they really are ricocheting through our communities at home. And just in the last few weeks, we've seen hate crime is on the rise, the far right is mobilizing, and a cost of living crisis is pushing millions more into deprivation. And against an onslaught of pretty hostile legislation, grassroots organizers are working harder than ever. But what we're seeing on a day-to-day -day basis is that they're really struggling to access funding and they're rarely encouraged or supported to work together to build that durable, that kind of durable power necessary for transformation. And in particular, we're definitely seeing that at that grassroots level, there's just a limited bandwidth for organizing. You know, communities that are facing the harshest injustices are nurturing their people, they're patching up service gaps. And then we're also seeing that kind of short-term competitive and project-based funding in place is really kind of compounding this. So we have groups that are hungry to build power, that are aware of the kind of systems that are getting in the way, but just don't have that bandwidth. And there's some fairly kind of important and transformative things I think we can do in the funding space to change that. I think the second kind of major challenge we're seeing is a bit of a community organizing workforce crisis. And this kind of manifests itself in two ways. There definitely are not enough organizers from within oppressed communities. We're not kind of making organizing um, a more durable, attractive opportunity for these communities. And that really matters if we go back to that first principle of self-determination. But equally, while we have an underfunded organizing sector in the UK, it becomes kind of, as one organizer said to me, it's a career sacrifice instead of a career opportunity. And that's something we need to change. And I think it's quite important to hold those two things in tandem, that, that organizing at once is, is deeply rooted and deeply organic. And lots of people give their time and energy without necessarily it being their full-time job. But to do it well and to have that connection and make sure that groups are supported, trained, encouraged and build movements, it is also an important kind of career opportunity, full-time job. So how we make sure that we have funding available for the grassroots, as well as really building a field of organising, is going to be absolutely vital in kind of responding to some of those major challenges. Um, and what is it that you're funding at the Civic Power Fund? What is, where have you sort of targeted that finite amount of funding that you have to play with? Well, I think leading on nicely, it might not surprise you that, that we essentially have two funding strategies. So one is a place-based funding strategy, thinking about how do we focus in on a handful of areas to build long-term power in place through investment in grassroots organising. And we've started out working in North East Wales and North of Greater Manchester as our two first place based approaches. And I think one example of a group that we're funding um, in North East Wales is a fantastic local community group called Yellow and Blue. They are really rooted. They've been around for a long time, very, very responsive to community needs. But they're finding themselves in this constant cycle, which many of the communities they work in are also in, that they're taking money from their community to pay for their rent, but their landlord is Sports Direct. So it's this kind of like awful cycle that they actually want to make sure that that money is circular, regenerative, going back into the community. So we've been supporting them to do a little bit of work, kind of connecting with other organisations that are in the same place, building power through a kind of deep connection with the local organising alliance, together creating communities who are fantastic, to think about how might they build a relationship with the council to look for other funding opportunities or other kind of rent opportunities that means that they can keep those resources in the community instead of putting them out to, to landlords who do not have their best interests at heart. 
But we also have an infrastructure funding strand, and this is exactly responding to that point. How do we get money into some of the most innovative, some of the most rooted organizing infrastructure that's happening right across the UK? And there is some incredible work. And I could talk again for hours about this, but I'll try and draw on a couple of examples. Um, one is an organization I hope many of your listeners will know, Act Build Change. They are a new transformative organizing school that are doing kind of really deep holistic work in communities to train people particularly with lived experience of injustice in organizing and in power building and we're working with them we've been working with them since the beginning to make sure that they have some resources to support that training and kind of spread and deepen it across the uk there's also another organization called the center for progressive change they're doing some brilliant work kind of combining grassroots organizing, particularly of cleaners and domestic workers, with a national campaign to challenge kind of really unfair sick pay and connecting the dots between that work at a very sort of deep and local level with the possibility of national change. So basically, in, in two with those two funding strands, we're trying to address that problem of resourcing support energy for grassroots groups that can build power around their communities and for their people. People, but then making sure that there is that base of infrastructure to draw on, to connect, to build movements around right across the UK. Hi, please excuse this brief interruption. I'd love for more people in our sector to hear from our guests. So I'd like to ask a favour of you, please. If you're enjoying the podcast, please could you promote the show in whatever way suits you. This could be giving us a rating and following us on your podcast player or following us and sharing posts on social media or telling your contacts about us by email. Any of those would be a great help and greatly appreciated. And most importantly, thank you for listening. I read an article where you were saying the how of what we do is as important as what we do. And so can you just give us a bit of an example of what you mean by that and how how the organisation operates? Yeah, happily. And, and I want to kind of um, say up front, we're also getting lots of stuff wrong. Um, so this isn't to say that we've cracked it. We absolutely haven't. Um, we're a new fund. We've made a decision to kind of get money out the door and just sort of learn as we go. And, and so far, that's been working very well. But I think one of the things that we've seen being in community with organisers and with grassroots groups is that there's a huge issue around the quantity of funding for grassroots community organising. But there is also a kind of quality problem as well in that organisers are finding it really hard to access funding opportunities when they do the kind of processes are really, really challenging and opaque. And then money is very short term and very project based. And that's kind of creating the sense of competition and limiting the capacity to really build long term change. So one of the ways that we've been trying to do something a bit different and we've learned from so many others in this space is through our community action fund. And we just um, closed recently a UK wide one off completely open fund for grassroots campaigning and organizing work. And the way that we tried to do that was have something that was completely open call and democratic but at the same time be really, really clear about what we were funding. So we had a first stage where anybody could kind of land on our website, find out about the opportunity and then just take a very quick questionnaire to see if they were in scope or not. We had around seven and a half thousand people take that questionnaire. And that said, if someone answered yes to any questions, they were just politely told this isn't right for you. So at that stage, we got rid of kind of almost about 7,000 of those queries. And then about 900 groups came through that were potentially in scope. 
And again, we tried to have a process that was as clear as possible, but also as kind of unresource intensive as possible for the groups. So we asked four simple questions and groups could just copy and paste from an existing application or they could leave us a voice note or they could leave us a video. And then we as a staff team, as quickly as we could, we kind of looked through all of those 900 applications against the very clear what's in scope and were able to identify from within that about 90 groups that really did hit all the core criteria that we'd set out at the beginning. And then with those 90, again, kind of instead of asking organisations to put lots of time and energy in themselves, uh, we sat down with them and co-created three page grant memos so that they could take those grant memos through into the decision making stage. But also, if they weren't successful, we wanted them to leave the process with something that was useful that they could use in future funding bids and that we would certainly help them use in future funding bids. So that was kind of the process we took. We then decided to bring a participatory element into this and we really, really kind of learned from the participatory grant making community that's been working incredibly hard over the last few years to codify this practice. And we built a panel of community organisers, so people who are already doing organising, activism, grassroots work in their own community, and they're making the final decision about where that funding goes. So they've been kind of scoring all of those applications on the basis of the criteria they identified. And then this week, which is really exciting, uh, they'll be making the final decisions themselves. So this is just like one example of, of how we're trying to do things a little bit different in terms of opening up the application process and then making it as clear as possible for the groups. I think there's a few other things that, that I would say is that one is it, it certainly was a huge amount of work to do a full open call. But we were completely flabbergasted by the quality of the applications that came through. And it really just showed to us how much work is happening at a grassroots level all across the country. And one thing we heard kind of time and time for groups that were coming through is that they were desperate to do more power building work. They were desperate to do more campaigning, more systems change level work, but they just couldn't find the funding for it. And we had to be quite strict in saying that our criteria was, is there already organizing taking place? But it really revealed to us why that place-based strand is going to be so important, because there are lots of groups that are truly rooted in their community, that with the right funding and support over time could get to a point that they're building power, but we're not collectively doing that now. So I think that was one of the things that really came through that was very important. The other one is to say that I'm a complete evangelist for time and anyone who does organising and the incredible community organisers that we get to work with also say this over and over again organizing well takes time it is not something that you can kind of just turn around with really clear objectives and outcomes overnight but it's so worth it because actually if you invest in building that power in building that trust in building that understanding not only do you transform individuals you start to build that base that we were talking about earlier now we're a new independent intermediary so we can't yet give kind of five year plus grants but that's the place that we want to get to in terms of knowing that kind of safety and security as well as that wraparound support is going to be absolutely vital in giving organizing a chance so as you said you're you're playing that role as an intermediary so you're both fundraising from grant makers and then um, making grants to other organizations um, and typically, I know for grant application processes that most funders say they they won't provide funding that will then be used to to be passed on to other organisations. So, what's been your approach in terms of that fundraising? Um, how have you gone about getting funders on board, and what types of conversations have you had with them? 
Well, I think it's important to say um, we've been very fortunate to work with some open-minded funders who sort of see the value of re-granting and see the value of coming together. That hasn't been universal, but there is a kind of gradual move in the UK to do more around funder collaboratives. And that's kind of part of the space that we've been trying to enter. I think one of the really important conversations that we've been having with funders is around movement building. And again, you're seeing funders who have a kind of deep commitment to social justice and a deep commitment to kind of moving the dial on some very important policy issues, collectively recognizing that maybe some of our old strategies aren't working and that actually we need to revisit what is it that builds successful movements and how can funders play a really important role in that space. I think some of the things that are coming out very clearly is that we do need to pool resources because one funder alone can't do this. This has to be something where we're bringing resource together to trial new approaches, but also to move money at scale in what is a relatively low risk approach. But equally like movement building, it requires a certain kind of getting out the way and really ceding control to communities and seeing where they take things. And I think, again, an intermediary offers that. We're very clear that we don't have any funders on our board. The strategy is set by movement builders, by organizers, by people with connection to the groups on the ground. And that's quite an important um, point for us in terms of saying, we're not gonna change approach on the basis of a funder strategy. We're really gonna root that accountability in the groups and the communities to see what works for them. And there's definitely a movement amongst some funders of kind of wanting to see that and wanting to be part of that and recognizing that as being really important. I think like it would be folly not to say that this is really hard work. Um, we don't have such an established intermediary field in the UK. It's a very kind of common global approach. It's, it's very common in the US. There are some incredible intermediaries, particularly in the racial justice space, who've really paved the way here. I think the Funders for Race Equality Alliance is one example. Resourcing Racial Justice, incredibly pioneering fund. But each of these has had to kind of really pave the way. And that's kind of we're riding on some of those coattails, but still having some quite difficult conversations around why would you pull or why would you work through an intermediary? I think what's been quite interesting to me, and, and again, I, I guess I would say this, is that you know, I came into the Civic Power Fund about 18 months ago. I have a background in organizing. I'm a complete evangelist for the model, as you can probably tell. Um, but I've come through the, the kind of last 18 months as, as also an evangelist for, for the intermediary model. I think there's, there's so many reasons to kind of give it a go in terms of A, having a long-term strategy and just being able to stick to it. B, being able to get kind of really, really specialist. And I think for us, that kind of democratic and participatory approach we talked through as one example is just having the space to really experiment with this stuff, get very, very close to communities through that kind of specialist approach. I think that's very hard to do if you're just one singular funder, but equally you can kind of share those learnings as wide as possible. And that has that kind of ricochet effect of people being able to adopt the bits that work. But I also think it's just that bigger picture thing of being able to pull resources that, I mentioned earlier, we are in this moment of profound crisis and we're not going to fix it through sort of one off pots of funding here and there. We need to really come together and take movement building seriously. And that requires that kind of collective investment in organizing and that collective learning as we go. And I think being able to say that this offers a space and a place for that is definitely really important. And what what type of funders have you had? What sort of motivations have they come with? Is it... Um... Uh, is it the funders that are already in that social justice space but are maybe not funding the community organizing or is it like broader funders who are just not in this space and so it makes sense to kind of go through a specialist fund like yourselves 
We've definitely focused in these early years on social justice funders. Um, so there are some funders um, like the Trust for London, like Unbound Philanthropy, who've invested in organising um, for the long haul and see this as an opportunity to kind of learn more. We definitely have organisers that are new-ish to the social justice space, um, but now wearing that badge quite proudly and wanting to be part of a collective and learning. And then we have funders who already have that kind of open commitment to social change and are keen to be part of a collaborative and learn a little bit more. I think there's an innovation thing. So we are seeing a lot of kind of test and learn and people wanting to be part of this early stages, but, but maybe waiting and see about a track record. Um, and that's been really interesting for us. And I think it has been a, a fairly deliberate strategy that there's incredible energy excitement in the social justice funding space around movement building and the potential of organizing and the need for new strategies so that's where we've been focusing for this kind of first year i think longer term we definitely see a need to kind of engage a much wider pool of funders and one of our strategies is very much voice um, so we have those two funding strategies i've already outlined which is place and infrastructure but we have a third strategy which is voice and really making the case for organising as a vital practice, convening funders to learn from each other, convening organisers, building kind of cohorts, sharing research, evaluation, as much as we possibly can around why you would fund organising and how you do it well. And that's something that we hope to continue to do long into the future and sort of use that as a springboard to build, bring in kind of other funders and different perspectives that aren't currently active or engaged in this space. And our funders just giving you core funding to do all of that stuff or are you finding people are saying well we want you to use this for the grant funding and share the learning with us and then that other stuff about voice you have to find your own money to do that sort of thing it's a real it's a real mix um so we definitely we've brought in some funding that's just kind of unrestricted core cost funding which is great um, and that's definitely the goal that that allows us to really be led by the communities. And that's what we want. First and foremost, we want to be led by what the need is. And um, so the more we can bring in those kind of resources, the better. I think when it comes to the voice stuff, we do a lot of that kind of off our own steam. But also we've definitely seen some funders really interested in kind of specific learning projects. We've just done a piece of work with the Joseph Roundtree Foundation looking specifically at what works for funding grassroots organizing and bringing together funders and organizers to learn from one another. And similarly, we're going to repeat that analysis of where social justice funding goes this year. So that's more kind of project based. And then there's definitely a kind of piece in the middle, which is is more of a sort of trial and error approach um, that I think there are people who are interested in and want to be part of the conversation and come and, and chat to us and, and meet our grantees and bring their own learning into the space, but maybe aren't yet ready to commit to that longer term investment. Um, and I think being really honest, my, my job is very much to, to change that um, so that we can significantly start to shift the availability of funding for grassroots organising and really challenge some of those practices that we know mean it's not fulfilling its full potential. Yeah. And I imagine some of some of the messages that you're getting out there, I suppose, are a bit of a challenge to funders as well in terms of needing to seed power, um, changing their mindset in terms of some of those things, like the amount of time it takes to have that impact, um, how you're able to demonstrate the impact of that type of work, um, attitudes around risk. So I'd just be really interested to hear what sort of conversations you've had, what sort of feedback people have had. Obviously, there are some that are already very much on board with that, but maybe some of those that are a bit newer to some of those sort of ideas. What, what sort of responses have you had? Yeah, that that is right. And 
We're very clear that funding organising well really does mean ceding power and control to communities. And it means sort of doing away with predetermined outputs or even predetermined outcomes and giving communities the space to build that long term power. And that is quite a change or quite a mindset change for most funders. And I think there's also an accountability piece in that as well. Like if you speak to organisers, they are absolutely forensic about evaluation. We work with one of my colleagues, um, Zain Hafiz. He's a part-time organiser with Citizens UK as well as working with us. And Zain kind of brings that evaluation energy into every conversation, kind of forcing us to stop and evaluate and check in, like, are we on the right track? So I think there's a mindset shift around trusting organisers because they are really forensic about what works, but giving them the space to focus on building power by following the lead of what communities want, rather than setting those outcomes or objectives from the beginning. That is a big change. I think similarly, mindsets need to shift around risk. There's a real sense that kind of ceding power and control to grassroots is, is risky and perhaps too big of a risk. Again, we would argue that it's far riskier not to invest in the places and spaces that we know might lead to transformative change. But again, that requires a kind of complete rethinking of risk and, and thinking about it beyond some of, some of the compliance landscape things at the moment that are making this work really tricky. So I think you're right, there are some quite fundamental mindset shifts that are required. And I think definitely what we're seeing is increasing kind of energy around that and increasing understanding of that, but there just being some objective internal challenges that need to shift. And, you know, most funders, every single one of them will have a board of trustees. That board of trustees has their own kind of accountability and finding the space within that to kind of make sure that the words people are saying around wanting systemic change and wanting to break down barriers are actually translating into the actions that allow that. I think we're at the beginning, probably, of quite a long journey. And for people wanting to find out more, looking for resources or further reading, um, I suppose the listeners could be in a number of buckets. There might be funders, people working at funders that were uh, interested in, in that aspect. There might be people running community groups and charities and so on that might be interested in um, learning some of the principles around community organizing and taking some of that into their work um, and any number of other people just looking for to learn more about this what what, what are some of the sort of places that we can signpost them to and we'll, we'll put the links and things on the website so I would say in terms of getting to know organising, um, At Build Change, who I mentioned earlier, have a really excellent um, free online course and lots of suggested readings. So I'd absolutely check them out. I think if you want to really kind of get back to the basics, um, I would read Rules for Radicals, which is Saul Olinsky's kind of tome on why organising works and what it is. There is a fantastic organiser called Amanda Tattersall. She's an organiser and scholar and she's based in Australia. And she's written loads about the intersection between organising with kind of more traditional campaigning and how you do that at scale. Absolutely worth kind of looking up her work and I'll send some links through around some of the specific articles that I think really hit this. I think in terms of trying to situate organising within the UK, like it's worth kind of digging into some of those great case studies. You know, you can look as far back as the Bristol bus boycotts, the Dagenham factory strikes, and really see organising in play there, and, and that kind of grassroots community level work being the catalyst for quite, quite, quite deep systems level change around race equality, but also gender justice. I think also finding out a little bit more about the living wage campaign started by Citizens UK, 
but also more recently, We Belong, um, an amazing organisation that works with asylum-seeking young people, has just won quite a significant change in the route to resettlement through organising. So finding out about those case studies would be really important. I think from a funder perspective, Ariadne has done some great work and the Edge Funders Alliance. Um, so looking into those kind of more global European opportunities for learning and sharing where organising works. And I think I'd probably be remiss not to say that our own library on our website um, has got quite a few articles, publications, research, kind of making the case and really looking into what works and what needs to change. Um, and particularly, we just did a piece of work quite recently um, looking at organising in big charities and kind of connecting the dots between that work at a grassroots level that's coming through and connecting into national charities. And that was called Power Up. And that really looks at what works and what needs to change and some of the fundamental principles for success. And I think that's very relevant to funders as well as kind of members of those larger organisations. And presumably if there's any funders that are really enthused by this and want to support the work, then they just get in touch with you and uh, you tell them where to send the cheque. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or, the, or the back payment, preferably these days. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, that's really good. Uh, I think there's, yeah, there's lots of good stuff to share there. So I'll get the links from you. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to particularly get across or, or is there anything you'd like to request of the listener? I think what I'd request of the listener is actually simply to be curious. Um, Organising is an incredible magical practice and there is so much of it happening across the UK at the moment. And it's really worth just sort of spending a moment digging into it, learning more and seeing why it's magic. Um, so I would just encourage that, that curiosity and that learning. Um, and I think those resources I mentioned are a starter for 10, but there are so many groups and organisers and individuals that, that you can and, and should be learning from. Um, and that's a good place to start. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. I think I'll do a bit of reading myself on some of those as well. Well, thanks, Martha. That's uh, that's really interesting. Uh, I know people get get a lot out of that. So thanks very much for for offering your time. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Charity Impact Podcast. Please give us a rating and follow us on your podcast player or on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook. And if you think this episode would be of interest to someone in your network, please do share the webpage on social media or by email.